stand and get ready to worship with us. And thank you for joining us here at Newbine. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Newbine Community Church. I'm happy to have you all here with us today, and uh, welcome to those who are watching online as well. I'd like to invite everybody to stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we will get started with worship. Lord, I want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything you've done in our lives throughout the week and everything that we know you'll continue to do. We just ask you to come be in our midst today to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Take a second and say hello to somebody.
everyone. My name's Allie, and we're glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. Hey guys, we're in a new year already. It's unbelievable. It's 2023. We're having a class that's called One Anothering because we're studying through the One Another's New Testament. It's going to be on Monday night, 7 o'clock, costs $10. And so we're going to learn how to put these things into practice and also learn what it means. So we always have a good time. So come out for that and sign up for that. Uh, also, uh, January the 29th. We're doing a baptism, and in the wintertime, we baptize here at church. And so if you've decided to become a follower of Jesus, your first step is to be baptized to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. So we're doing that on the 29th in the second service. You can sign up for that, too. So God bless you. I hope you have a great new year. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here, and enjoy the service. Quick announcements. Well, you guys are nuts, first of all. It wasn't bad. This morning, it wasn't too bad when I called the guy to come plow the lot, and then uh, it got worse as he was plowing. It's like the more he plowed, the, the more it snowed. So anyway, if you're watching online, I told you to come. You stayed home. God bless you. Uh, we're going to say a prayer and take up the offering. So all you guys have to give like three times as much today. So, All right, so let's say a prayer. Lord, thank you that you're good, and every good gift comes from you. Lord, we thank you for the snow. As it covers everything, just reminds us of your grace and how beautiful it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 1 6, right? In the Bible, he who began a good work and you will complete it to live Jesus Christ, right? And I don't think the, is the carry, I don't think the carry it on is in there, but, um, we, I've been interviewing people every week. So, uh, Jan, I'm going to interview Jan and so I'll let her talk to us. And so, uh, so we've been doing this. I think it's been kind of fun. I got in trouble last week. Um, <clears throat> the first week I did Richard in here and then I made him go back and stand. Second service I did, uh, Deanna Huff. And then last week I didn't make people go back and stand at the door, which I'm not going to make you do that. But uh, I got in trouble with Deanna because she said I didn't make anyone else go back and stand at the door and greet people on the way out. So I told her uh, that she was practicing the one another, forgive forgive one another. So that was the deal. So, All right, so I think it's on. So tell us who you are and where you were born and all those kinds of things. Okay. Well, my name is Jan House. I'm married to Robin House. And nobody can remember Jan. They mostly call me Robin, but that's okay because we're kind of a match set like salt and pepper. I was born in Little Valley, New York, population about a 1,000, and it's south of Buffalo but not near Buffalo, just dairy country, very, very rural, a little tiny school and all that. And I was actually a uh, French horn major, and I went to music school in upstate New York. Okay, and, and so I'm, go ahead. 
Well, talking. then I went into rock and roll, and that was all she wrote. So. There you go. So tell us what you do for a living or what you've done for a living or whatever. Oh, well, most of my adult life, pretty much all of it, I've been in rock and roll bands, playing in clubs, you know, and then uh, holiday in circuits, whatever, that kind of deal. You know, five, six nights a week. And uh, then we kind of gravitated, gravitated towards lodges, which are a little more family-friendly and, and nicer. Uh, like elks and moose, the animal clubs, like yeah, that calls yeah. them. Animals, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then now Robin and I are doing what we really, really like is we're doing senior facilities like nursing homes and assisted living. And we're just basically entertaining them and playing oldies. And it's so nice because it's not tied to alcohol sales. That's kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. If it was, it'd be a mess in the, there. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, Maybe maybe in, in February at one time we're going to have a um, dance or a concert or whatever where, where Robin and Jen will do the thing and we'll have it'll be, it'll be fun. They'll come and, yeah. and, and do the thing here. So we years ago we had a, a sock hop. had a sock hop whatever. So whatever I didn't I didn't go to dances in high school. I wasn't allowed to. But anyway, um, um, and any special hobbies? I, she's the lead guitar player. So I, my goal is when I grow up to play the lead guitar like her. So anyway, but. Uh, um, how long have you been coming here? <clears throat> oh, I knew you were going to ask that, and I still don't know. Honey, any idea? He's got the memory. I don't. Yeah, 2010, so what's that, 13 years? I guess. There you go. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Not good in math, but that sounds good. Okay. I remember when, when uh, Jan got, got baptized, and they got baptized in the creek, and, and I remember after she said that, she said, should I quit singing and playing in all these different places? You know, because a lot of times when Christians become Christians, they just kind of X out of everything. And, and I told her no, because she might be the only one in there, to, you know, to, to be able to be a witness and stuff like that. So I think it's pretty cool. So um, what do you like about coming here? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's, it's having a church family. And even if you're kind of an introvert, you know, which I am, like Mark, um, it's so important. And Robin kind of drugged me here, honestly. He saw the sign. He's like, well, I know Vine- Vineyard will take her even in a rock band. Yeah. And uh, I'll take anybody. And uh, yeah, and so we were going to sit in the back and just be quiet and never, never say anything. Yeah. And uh, how'd that work out? Not, yeah, (laughs) totally the opposite. But no, it's a sense of family. Like, you know, when the really hard times, like if your parents die, which mine both have and stuff like that, it's hard to come to church, but it's so important just to have that church family. Because I tried to be a lone wolf Christian, even in the rock bands before I came here. And I don't know, the world just gets you. It just gets to you, and next thing you know, you're not hardly acting like a Christian, probably not being very fruitful. So I need to come here every week and just get reminded again and again and have that good, you know, family support. Okay, good. Give her a hand. Thank you. Did good. And here's Mark. All right, good morning. How are you guys doing? I didn't know it was going to snow. I like—I thought it was going to happen tonight or something. So I woke up and was surprised, and then I fell down cleaning off my car, and it was terribly funny. You guys ever just fall and laugh at yourselves? All right, I guess not. All right, well. Anyway, I fell this morning, and it was hilarious. And my neighbor saw me, and he laughed, and it was great. So you guys doing all right? So we're in this series called One Anothering, and uh, today we're going to look at serving one another. 
And the passage we're going to be looking or reading through is from Galatians. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Galatians 5. If not, it's all good. It's on the screen. And we will pray and get going. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. And, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you come, that you just open our hearts to you, um, that you just bless our time. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says this. You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you, or you will be destroyed by each other. And so Paul begins this section of this passage by telling us that we are called to be free. But it raises the question, free from what? Especially within the context of this passage. So to kind of give you a little bit of a background here on what's going on, Paul has made his way through um, the Roman Empire planting churches. And the way that he would do this is he would often go to the synagogue within the towns that he would visit, He would argue that this Jesus was the Messiah that the Jews had expected. And normally it would kind of cause a a, a bit of a conflict, if you will. Some of the Jews would believe and they would say yes to this Jesus. And others would say, you're a heretic. What are you doing with this false message? And many times what it would happen, it it would split the synagogue. Does that make sense so far? And so it would split. And he would continue teaching to these Jews that would have accepted Jesus as this Messiah. But then along with that, you had Gentile people, people that were not Jews within the context, who would also join the church. And, um, and there was a conflict between these two groups because the Jewish people believed that, hey, if you want to be part of this movement, well, you need to follow these rules and laws that we have within our tradition, circumcision, dietary laws, those types of things. And Paul said, no, they don't have to do that anymore. That we're not saved by the works of the law, but we're saved by the grace that Jesus has to offer to all of us. And so Paul would do this, and then he would make his way to another town. He had this group of people, Jewish leaders or Jewish Christians, if you will, who would follow behind him and tell these churches that, hey, actually, the, the reality is you do have to get circumcised. You do have to follow these rules. You do have to follow these laws if you want to be part of this covenant family. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians to tell them, no, that's not the case. You've been freed from the bondage, of, if you will, of the old laws. Good so far? I know this is kind of probably boring. But this gives us some help with understanding what's going on. And so he says, we've been freed from that. And so in Galatians 1, or chapter, verse 1 of chapter 5, he, he gives a little bit more of the context. It says, it is for freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to all, to you at all. Again, I declare to every man, who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. And you are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. 
And so, essentially what Jesus is saying here is this, or what Paul is saying here is this. Jesus has set us free from the bondage of any system. And I, not just religion, but I would argue any system that claims that we have to participate and perfect the so-called required rules, rituals, or regulations in order to be accepted by God. Does that make sense? Like Jesus' grace, it, it sets us free from having to do anything to be accepted. You are accepted. You are loved. God meets you exactly where you are. And oftentimes, religion, or just simply any other system, politics, whatever it may, economic, whatever it may be, when a system requires you have to do something so that you can be accepted, you're stepping into a slavery that you don't have to carry around. That you, you, you are loved and accepted. Your identity isn't in what the things that you do. Your identity is in who God has called you and created you to be. Now, this raises the question because in my mind, you would, I would think, well, how could religion be a bad thing? Right? And, and so, I think that this is, this is how religion turns toxic. The way that religion creates bondage is in, in this way. Number one, if you're good at it, right? You're good, you're good at the, the rituals, the rules. You're a chuck. I'm not saying that this is dad, but I'm just saying you're like, you're, you're like top 10% good at that kind of stuff, right? What can happen if you're not careful, and it happens to all of us, is that pride will start to kind of grow in our hearts. Does that make sense? And we begin to entertain that idea that God loves me because I'm such a good boy or girl. But that kind of gets in the way of our relationship with God. The other way that religion can mess us up is if we're terrible at it. We just can't do it. We just, we can't get up and we read our Bibles. We can't, we, we worry instead of pray. We lash out instead of forgive. We're just, we're just terrible at being a Christian. Anybody terrible at being a Christian? Yeah, right? Just terrible at it. And what does that do? Well, it creates shame in our lives. Where we find ourselves keeping God at a distance because we, we just can't handle who we are and we're ashamed of who we are. Does that make sense? And so, any religious system or whatever that requires of us to be good or, or not, it will either create pride in our lives if we're, we're good at doing those things, or it will create shame in our lives if we're not good at doing the things whoever has told us what we have to do. But the problem is that it, it they both oppose grace and love. Because love doesn't love a person because they're good, right? And love doesn't not love a person because they're bad. Love looks beyond those two things. Love transcends, grace transcends those two things. So we've grown up in transactional worlds where if 
I do this, or if this person does this for me, then, then I will reward them. And if they don't meet my standard, then I won't reward them. The problem is that grace just trashes that entire system, throws it out the window. And so we've been called to be free. But then he continues and he says this. He said, you've been called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Because what happens when you don't have to follow the rules anymore? Can you just do whatever you want? And that's a slippery slope within itself as well. So now, now the word that Paul uses here, the word flesh, is, uh, is an interesting word. And, and in some sense, I find it a, a problematic word. Because the way that we think about it and the way that sometimes it's been interpreted um, can get us off track. Now, the word fle- uh, sarks, it, it literally just means flesh. It, here's a definition for you. Sarx is flesh or the body or the soft tissue of a creature, often in contrast to bones, ligaments, and tendons. And Paul, throughout Galatians, and you can also find it in Romans, is making this comparison between this, this following the Spirit of God or following our flesh. And the same word sarx is you can also find it in John chapter 1, where it says that the Logos, talking about Jesus, that the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the same word, uh, sarks there. And so I don't think that Paul is saying that our physical bodies are, Im- are immoral or evil. Oftentimes it's been interpreted that way, and you have, there's traditions within the church history where people literally hurt themselves, abuse themselves, punish themselves, because of their sinful nature. And so there's, there's, there's accounts of, of priests and monks whipping themselves because they had bad thoughts. There's accounts of church fathers poking their eyes out because they lusted after women. And the reality is, and you can find these within the accounts, that it didn't really change them, even doing those things. Does that make sense? You guys good so far? It's terribly boring. You're like, I drove through the snow for this. And so for me, it's a, it's a little bit problematic. Another way that this word has been translated over the years, like in the 1984 version of NIV, they, they translate Sarks as our sinful nature, which is, I think, a pretty good translation. And then in the MCT, it says that Sarks is can be translated as ego or selfish desires. And the MCT is just simply Mark's contemporary translation. That's a joke. Not to take it too seriously. But I think it helps us understand what Paul's really trying to get at. He's talking about that part of us that wants to do its own thing. He's talking about that desire within us to be selfish and to make bad choices and to allow our temptations to rule our lives. In verse 19, he kind of shows us what happens when we say yes to these sinful desires or our selfishness or our ego, our flesh. He says, the acts of the flesh are, are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, 
hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. Does it continue? Uh, right. Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so to kind of summarize this, he says mainly this. Since we've been freed from any transactional reality, since we've been freed from the lie that we have to that we can only be accepted by God if we do certain things. Since we've been freed from that, don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want. Why? Because in doing so, you end up destroying the very freedom that Jesus has given us. Good? We all right here? <laughs> and, and so, kind of to, to give you this in a nutshell... What we as human beings do is we create systems so that we can earn our keep. We create religious systems. We create all kinds of systems that if we can do A, B, C, or D, well, then we can be a part of the group. Jesus comes and blows that entire system out of the water and says, no, God loves you exactly where you are. You can't free yourself, but love can. So don't fall into the trap of trying to earn your identity or, or your acceptance by doing certain things. But also don't get it twisted. Because I love you and have accepted you for who you are, that doesn't simply free you from doing whatever you want. Because if you do whatever you want, well, then that's going to cause its own set of problems that it's going to separate you and, and, and put you back into a bondage. So just simply accept the love that I have given you, which raises this question, well, then how do we do it? How do we continue to live free? Which leads us back to the text. He says, do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, what's it say? Serve one another. Serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He says, don't fall back in to that sinful nature. Because if you do, it's going to mess things up. Perhaps you can say it like this. Selfish actions always lead to selfish reactions. Since I've been freed from having to earn my way to God, do I just continue to do selfish things, sinful things? Because if I do, well, then it's going to affect other people around me. And then what are they going to do? They're going to probably try to get revenge in some sort of way and, and, and react in their own selfish way, which then creates another mess. Yeah? You guys got your bored slash thinking faces on. And so instead of being selfish, what are we called to do? We're called to serve. Now, why serve? Of all of the things that we could do, why 
serve. Now I would say just a couple things. Number one, one of the reasons why we serve is because serving is what Jesus modeled. And as disciples of people who are trying to live like Jesus, then we want to try to do the things that Jesus did. And so if you look at the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels, you begin to discuss, excuse me, you begin to discover this is what he did with his life. He served the people around him. There's a story in, in Matthew, you can also find it in Mark, where James and John come up to Jesus and they say to him, in, in Matthew's version, it's their mom, but they say to him, hey, listen, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your right and on your left? And Jesus says to them, listen, that's not for me to decide. That's something that my father will decide. But essentially what they're asking is this. Hey, when you rule it all, can we be second in command? Because we want to be in charge too. Now the other disciples hear them make this request and they get all angry about it and they're mad at them. And I don't think they're mad because because James and John are, are being selfish here. I think they're mad because they didn't think to ask the question first. And so Jesus brings them all together and he says, listen guys, here's the thing. In the world, the way that leaders work is they seek power and then they use it to rule over other people. They use it to, to manipulate and to coerce other people. But in my kingdom, it's not going to be like that. See, in my kingdom, if you want to be great, well, then you are called to be a servant. Because my kingdom's upside down, where the, the first are actually last, and the last are, are first. And so Jesus begins to plant this idea into the, his disciples' minds that, hey, if you want to be great in life, pursuing power so that you can rule other, other rule over other people isn't the way to do it. It's just going to, you're going to find yourself empty. But if you want to truly be great in this kingdom that I'm creating, well, then it means that you learn to love and serve the people in the kingdom. Jesus models this for them throughout his ministry, serving and loving and healing people. And then the night that he's betrayed, he's having a meal with his disciples. And John tells us that there's this moment that he realizes that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. There's this, this, I don't even know what that must have felt like, but what's interesting is what Jesus chooses to do in that moment. John tells us that he gets up, he takes off his robe, he puts a towel around his waist, and he washes his disciples' feet, demonstrating for us what it looks like to have true authority in this kingdom that God is calling us into. And so the first reason why we serve is because we're just simply trying to be like Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but I think he knows what he's talking about, right? See, the thing about Jesus, when we, when we look at Jesus, we see God perfectly. That's the part of one of the major parts of being a Christian is understanding that we don't have to guess what God is like. We, we, when we see Jesus, we can know what God is like, that he's Fully God. But the church fathers also argued that not only was he fully God, but he was also fully human. And so that also means this. That when we look at Jesus, we can see what it, what we are called to be like. 
We see the perfect human being. And that he models for us what we are all called to live like. Does that make sense? And so, if this is how Jesus lives, then I think that it points to that this is how God has created all of us to live. That we're only going to find fulfillment and happiness, not in, in trying to climb the ladder of success or to get power or money or whatever. But if we want to truly find fulfillment, then we live like Jesus because he's the perfect human being. He's living the way that we are all created to live. Yeah? So that's the first reason why to serve. Secondly, I would say this. Serving breaks us out of the cycle of selfishness or sin. For me, sin and selfishness are the same thing. It's my inclination to to want to do what I want to do. And when you put 7 billion or however many people there are on the earth now, maybe 8 billion, you put that many people in a place that only want to do what they want to do, what's going to happen? Well, what you see is what you get. A lot of chaos and destruction. Because we all just want to do what we want to do. Like, I don't want to, like I... My daughter, I picked my daughter up from the ball game last night, and she was hungry. And so we went and got McDonald's, but then she wanted to get a slushie. So then we went to the gas station so she could get a slushie. And I, I didn't go in. I just gave her some money, and she ran in to get a slushie. But there wasn't any slushie, so she bought all kinds of candy instead. And she comes back out to the car, and I'm like, why didn't you get a, why did you get candy? She goes, because the slushie machine was broke. And she's like, well, I said, well, you, we could have just gone to another gas station to get a slushy. She's like, why didn't you tell me that? I'm like, because I was out here in the car, you crazy person. What are you talking about? So then she's throwing a fit, and she wants a slushy. And I didn't want to get her a slushy at this point. I'm wondering, I kind of want to make her like, you know, this is what you get. But the dad heart in me doesn't want to see my children sad. And so there was that fight within me. The selfish mark that just wants to go home and allow Annabelle to cry because she made a mistake. Don't act like you don't act, think about your children that way. Or the benevolent and graceful part of me that says, no, I'm going to show my daughter love here and get her a slushy, even though she's wasted all that money on candy. Yeah? Serving the people that we love breaks us out, or at least it wakes us up to the broken, selfish parts of us that is robbing us of joy. Another rule, and you've heard me say this before, but I try to make my wife coffee every morning whether she deserves it or not. Most of the time she doesn't. But it's not about her. It's about me growing in grace and loving her because that's what I've been called to do as her husband, not whether she deserves it or not. And and the same goes for me. She scratches my back every day, whether I deserve it or not. Most of the time I don't, but she always scratches my back. Does that make sense? So when we serve one another with no strings attached, it breaks our heart open to the love that God has for all of us. And so we serve because we're modeling Jesus. 
We serve because it breaks us out of the cycle of selfishness. Here's another reason. Serving connects us with one another. So, one of my favorite people at this church is Lee. And she's not here today because, probably because of the snow. She usually plays the keyboard. She's a riot. She cracks me up. But the way that I got to know Lee is by hanging out with her every day for years down at the free store. She worked the front desk at the free store, and I usually was just kind of hanging out around there helping people carry the groceries out and those types of things. And we would have all kinds of conversations. And over the years, serving with next to Lee, it grew this bond between the two of us. Yeah? And so if you're at this church and you're not connected to somebody, one of the best ways, probably the, the best way to connect is by serving with with the things that we do around here. An- another example would be Chris, and I don't know where he, where he went, but he's out serving, shoveling the snow. Doing things with Chris over the years, the different parties, that, like the block parties that we have. And if you've ever been around Chris, you know some of his tricks. He likes to to get like long pieces of grass and tickle you when you're not paying attention and you'll like look around and he, you know, he's done it to me for years, but then it's always fun when we have new people around and he does it to them because you know, it's coming, but they don't and they're trying to figure it out. And I could go on and on and on with these types of relationships that I have with you guys that, that has grown over the years in the context of serving with each other. Does that make sense? And so we, we serve because that's what Jesus did. We serve because it breaks us out of that cycle of sin and selfishness that we all are entangled in. We, we serve because it connects us with one another. And then finally, I would say this. We serve one another or others because this is actually the way that we serve God. The way that we love God is by loving the people that he has created. Several years ago, I coached, um, I coached high school football for years. But uh, when Evan was probably about three or four, was coaching a, we were coaching a particular season, and I would have the defense come over to my house on Thursday nights to watch film. And I would make them, we would, Amber and I would make them cookies and milk and we would watch film and eat cookies and milk. And, and it was more of a just a bonding thing for the team to get the, the kids together so that they would play hard for one another. But I remember Evan would love it when, when the team would come over and he had one player in particular, a kid named, uh, Sam. And Sammy would get down in the floor and play with Evan every week. And Sammy became my wife's favorite player. Why? Not because he was good, though he was very good, but because he loved our son. And because he loved our son, my my wife loved him. And I... In that, in that observing of that over the years, I, I had this realization like, this is how we show our love to God. Because it's impossible for us, to, I mean, how, how do you love a, a being that you can't necessarily see or, 
or whatever. Well, you love their kids. You love his kids. And by loving his kids, it reveals our love for him. And so I'm a big believer that if you say that you love God, well, the, pr- the proof is in the way that you act and the way that you treat other people. And not, and remember that we're playing with grace here. We don't turn it into a transaction. We don't love people because they're worthy of love. We don't love people simply because they've done something good for us. We love everybody, even the worst. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but I believe that's the call that God gives to all of us. And so we serve because we model Jesus. We serve because it breaks us out of that cycle of sin. We, we serve because it connects us with the body of Christ. And we serve because this is actually the way that we serve God. Which leads me to one last thought. I came across this quote this week. And I thought it was brilliant. So I just wanted to share it here. It's Pope Francis, and he says this. He says, rivers don't drink their own water, and trees do not eat their own fruit. The sun does not shine on itself, and flowers do not spread their fragrance for themselves. Living for others is a rule of creation. We are all born to help each other, no matter how difficult it is. Life is good when we are happy, but much better when others are happy because of you. He says the way that creation works is that it's connected to everything else and that we all have a purpose, but that purpose isn't simply to serve ourselves. Our purpose is to serve one another because that's the way that God's created this whole thing to be. Yeah? You guys done? I'm done. So, two questions. What's God saying to you? In what areas of your life are there opportunities to serve? In what areas here at this church are there opportunities to serve? What's God saying to you about these types of things, and what's one thing that you can do about it this week? And so let's take a few moments simply to reflect on this, and then we're going to share communion together. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you speak to our hearts in these next few moments.
All right, amen. If you have one of these, grab it, take it out. Every week we take part in this ritual, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, why would we take part in rituals if we've been freed from rituals? Right? I would say it simply like this. We don't do this so that we can belong. We do this because we already belong. Right? And so and we come and we gather as a family to take part in this meal to remind us of what family we're a part of. Like my, we have family meals at my house and Evan comes sometimes and he eats with us and sometimes he's with his girlfriend and he's starting to get to that stage of life where where he's doing his own thing. If he doesn't eat with us, that's fine. He's still not, he's still part of the family. Yeah. And so we think about it in those ways. This, it's an open table. It's a place where we come and we gather and we can be a part of this family. And so we do it as a reminder. It's not a requirement. It's a reminder of who we are and whose we are. Yeah, And so we always pray this prayer, so pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine, and said, This is the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time we gather, we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, which means we remember what Jesus did, and we're reminded that we are called to do the same, to be broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And so take the bread and look at the person next to you and say, this is the body of Christ that was broken for you. I'll take the cup, look at the person next to you, and, and remind them this is the blood of Christ that's been shed for you. All right. Amen. So I'll stand. My friends were texting me. Asking me why we didn't cancel church. He said, why don't you just tell them people to stay home? And my one friend, he's a, he's a Quaker. So they do what's called centering down where they just sit in silence. And he was like, why don't you just tell them people to stay home and center down at their house? And I said, well, and then they call me Rev. And they call Dad Papa Rev. And I said, well, Papa Rev it doesn't believe in closing. I said, he only closes if Armco closes. And they're like, it hasn't been called Armco for years. So... 
That's what's happening on my phone while I'm trying to preach to you guys. Grab hands with the person next to you. We'll pray and go home. So, Father, we thank you for this Paul who reminds us of who you've called us to be, to love and to serve the people around us, that we've been freed from having to earn our way to you, that you love us and accept us exactly how we are. May we learn to live in that type of a way where we love and serve the people around us. We ask that you just be with us this week as we go. Holy Spirit, we ask that you guide us and keep us us safe as we drive. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. See you guys.